The following is a brief chat I had with Terry on objections to promotion and relegation in American soccer. For the uninitiated, American soccer is polarized. It's polarized between those who subscribe to American exceptionalism when it comes to soccer and those who don't. Let me explain a bit. Outside literally a handful of countries, the entire world, consisting of 190-plus countries, operates its soccer as an open ecosystem. That means it is based on opportunity, freedom, and merit. And the mechanism by which this is instantiated is promotion and relegation. By contrast, the special interests in the United States have set up a closed ecosystem that rejects opportunity, freedom, and merit. Gatekeepers literally pick and choose what humans and businesses win and lose in this marketplace, and thus the polarization. A polarization between those of us who fight for opportunity, freedom, and a merit-based system, and those who claim the United States is special and thus cannot allow opportunity and freedom. They claim that a system of promotion and relegation would destroy soccer in our country. Of course, this is not their original thought. They've been programmed for years with this line of thinking by the special interests that have a monopoly on the ecosystem. As such, many parrot objections to promotion and relegation without even understanding what the underlying struggle is about. It's not about kicking a stupid ball around a rectangular field for 90 minutes. It's about whether you believe in opportunity and freedom or you don't. Even supporters of pro-rel haven't seemed to grasp this yet. Now. There's a ton to unpack in these statements, and that's something that will be done over the course of time and episodes. Today is about starting to address a few classic superficial objections to promotion and relegation. Specifically, Terry and I touch on two classic ones. One, that we can't have pro-rel because the lower divisions don't have the wherewithal to operate in such a structure. And two, that newly promoted clubs park the bus and so makes for poor entertainment value. Spoiler alert, guys, both are bullshit. Again, these chats are totally free flow and unscripted. I don't even know what the topic will be when Terry hops on a call with me, but that's okay. The intention is to get started, then later we'll clean it all up for you. And now a quick few second mentions of what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support this podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you must check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. Second, if you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path, your solution is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players, are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. So let's resume some questions of why promotion relegation. It cannot happen in the U.S., Gary. <laughs> it cannot it's, happen. It's just too hard. It's harder than landing rockets vertically. 
on in the ocean on a barge. It's it's harder than that. Okay. All right. So I think we covered last time. The other sports were thriving under the closed system. Uh, money will dominate and produce only super teams. And then due to the large geography of the United States, travel expenses will become, I can't even read them without laughing, prohibitive for newly promoted teams. Okay, let's see. The next one. Due to the lack of infrastructure at the lower levels, funding is poor because there is a very low investment return for putting money into our lower levels. Yeah, so. Well we have to figure out how to best communicate that the market is dynamic. You cannot ascribe to a lower division team. You cannot ascribe their current financial and infrastructural levels to when the market would be open. If you open the market, the current capacity or capabilities of the existing club changes because capital gets reallocated. More capital influx goes into that club. Somebody who is wealthier, I mean, the existing owner, he might have the wherewithal to just say, okay, I'm going for promotion. So I need a new stadium. I need a bigger marketing team with more expertise. I need to get better players and pay them better. He will reallocate his capital. And if that existing owner or group of owners is not capable or unwilling to do that, well, if they're unwilling, well, they won't get promoted. What's the problem? They'll just keep, keep. Sticking around in the second division or get relegated to the third division. And that's fine. They, they find their own level. The market will find the level for them. And if they want to figure out how to go up, but they don't have the wherewithal, well, guess what? They will open the doors to investors. Hey, we're open here for business. We will give you this much equity in return for this much capital. And our goals are to get promoted because if we get promoted, this is going to be our return on investment. But guys. We need $28 million in our war chest to expand our stadium to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't understand, Terry, how such a basic level of how an economy works is beyond the grasp of people who came up with the objection you just read to me. I would add to that, that if it was an open system forming a team, you would go in knowing that you'd have to face the possibility, what if we get promoted? And yes. if it was an open system, likely they're going in to get promoted. So not only they're not going to be surprised in the season, they may be planning on promotion from formation of the club. So they've got even more time to prepare. And especially if it was an open system to begin with, and they then took in new teams, as opposed to, it's not a surprise. And you're right about the fluidity in the, in the, dynamic nature of the ability to reflect the economics or anticipate the outcome, good or bad, it works in the other direction too. Okay. Well, I well, wanted to move on me, to the next one. Well, yep. let me, let me, let me add just so we have it compact here, this particular question, two more things. One is let us not presume also that the Federation or whoever will say, okay, we're doing promotion relegation next year. How about we presume that the Federation or whoever they do their studies. And they say, then they announce to the public, then they announce to the marketplace, Hey, we are going to open the system up to promotion relegation in five years. Then that gives you a five year runway for all of this capital reallocation or allocation to mobilize or to occur. And existing owners can say, you know what? I'm out and sell their assets, sell their club. So if you're worried about MLS owners saying, oh my God, now my capital is at risk or my investment is at risk. My assets are, is at risk because I might get relegated in five years. Well, they can shop around for a buyer. 
There are plenty of buyers in the world who have billions with a B, B as in Bravo, and they'll gladly come in and take your team off of your hands. So you can exit the marketplace. Nobody's going to lose anything here. You have a five-year runway. And on the flip side, the lower division teams, again, they have a five-year runway to ramp up capacity. I would, uh, I agree with that. And I would add too that I, in the glasses half full, that I think an announcement of a delayed, and I think the delay has to happen. An announcement of a delayed open system would increase the value of every team in here because I think for all the benefits of the open system would increase the value of the club because it would then not be a franchise of the club faster than just this artificial scarce reality that we've talked about in other podcasts. Immediately. The excitement. Immediately. Immediately. And, and some people would say, no, no, it, the risk is too high. The value is going to fall. That's fine. There's plenty of people in the glass half full category that would pay a lot more than the rate of return they're getting even now, which is tremendous. And so I think any, anyone could bail at the time they want with a handsome profit and no one would feel sorry for them, nor should they anyways. Nor okay. should they anyways. Why are we protecting billionaire uh, investments? Which by the way, again, we touched on this elsewhere. Look at how much this investment is as a percentage of their entire net worth. It's nothing. It's not that significant. So it's not like we are doing a moral wrong or a moral harm to the owner who, to their credit, invested capital, did all of these builds because they are builders. Awesome but we're not harming them. And we also gave the analogy, Terry, in one of our previous talks offline or online about even patents. If you go into the biomedical field, these companies, whether it be Pfizer, just because companies are companies now in the head space uh, of the public, they invest billions with a B into research and development to find new treatment modalities, new drugs, new vaccines, new medical device, whatever it is. And to reward them for that, you get a patent. The patent lasts, I don't, you're more familiar with this, maybe 17 years before it expires or something of that nature on that order. But it does expire. You don't have it forever, okay? Well, why should somebody who's investing less than that, okay? Because if you buy an MLS franchise, they're going for 300 million now, right? But back then it was 50 million or 20 million or... That's peanuts compared to what Pfizer invests in R&D. And Pfizer gets 17 years. Why do these owners get a perpetual infinite amount of time on their monopoly? So again, just another retort there. And lastly, Terry, to those who object and say, oh, our lower division teams don't have the stadium. What do you, it's a disaster. They don't have the budget, they don't have the money. Well, listen, there's also requirements that you have to satisfy to get promoted. So you might win the second division, but if you don't have the requisite infrastructure in place or the capital in place, you can't get promoted. And this happens everywhere across the world. So simply publish the requirements that we all know by now, because there's a 20 some odd year history of operating MLS. So you know, the league knows, everybody knows what capital is required, what infrastructure is required to complete the competition circuit for a season, publish those. And now everybody in the, in the lower divisions know exactly what the bar they need to meet to get promoted to the first division. And if they don't, 
they don't get promoted. So the objection here is bunk. It, it doesn't matter, this objection. Agreed. And this might be a case where we insert one of our old conversations about Hebert. Yep. And, and, uh, and their small stadium and, and the lengths they went through to get promoted. And it was a great story, but we don't have time to rehash that one on this one. Right, let's go to, I think, one more. Uh, park the bus defense is implemented by teams trying to avoid relegation and the games are dull. Well, first off, that's a sweeping statement. That's not always true. There are a lot of teams that ahead of the season, they're the lowest budgeted teams. They probably are going to be fighting for their life to stay up. And it's not always the case that they're just going to be bunkering. No, there's a lot of teams that go out and fucking attack, 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 attack. One example that everybody can relate to, but there's countless examples across the world, Terry. But because people can relate to this one, I'll just say it. When Leeds United got promoted last season, well, usually the teams that get promoted from the championship to the Premier League, they're always in those relegation battles. Okay. It's a rare situation, usually like a Leicester city that skyrockets to the top of, of the table. So Leeds, according to this objection, whoever came up with this excuse should have been bunkering the whole time. There was no greater attacking balls to the wall team in the entire premier league, like Leeds United attack, 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 attack. And they ended up, I don't know what they ended up at ninth place or 10th place or something like that by the end of the season. And now yep, they're in great. the relegation oh. territory, right? They have like 10 points out of 11 games or something. They're out of the relegation zone, but just barely. BS is not changing. He's attacking. He's not bunkering. This is not bunkering, please. And by the way, whoever came up with this objection, it'd be cool if we knew if we had like a mate, because a lot of people say these things, right? But it'd be, it'd be cool if we can find links to where these objections reside or a sample, but I'll say one more thing. So what if the team decides to bunker and has that as their strategy to, to try to stay up in the first division? What's the fucking problem? It's part of the game. Let them bunker. Who cares? And actually, if you have any sort of sophistication in football, it's something that is quite interesting to see, watch a game where a team has deliberately trained to bunker and counter and take their opportunities, take their chances. It's fucking fascinating. And it's fascinating on that side. Right? And it's fascinating to watch the, the quote unquote better team try to break down the bunkered opponent. It is chess. This is what makes football interesting. It is two polar opposite ideas. And let's see who comes out on top. It's fucking fascinating, Terry. And it's so unfortunate that here in the States, again, and I don't care if it's derogatory or not, these hipsters who just come on the scene the past, within the past 10 years who are, oh, MLS, MLS Seattle Sounders or whatever. Sorry, I, I just don't care anymore. They think they know what they're fucking talking about. They have... They're so parochial in their views. They haven't even gotten out of their little bubble. So they don't even understand the tactical diversity that exists in the game or be, be able to appreciate watching a match like that. So who gives a fuck if they decide to bunker? What's the problem? Why, why should that be an objection to promotion and relegation? Well, I was going to say too, if you look at Atletico Madrid, they're nowhere near relegation and that's the style that they play. Yeah. And they do it well and talk a little bit about, cause I, I don't have the cred, although here's my cred, by the way, I, I repainted my notes and you noticed the background, but feast your eyes on that baby. Wow. Wow. That's nice. So everybody right, can right, see he's, he's, 
he's has a, a Xavi Hernandez Barcelona number six jersey framed. Signed. And signed. Signed jersey. Very nice. Yeah, by the man who's now the coach. Anyways, um, talk a little bit about, because again, my, my cred's not big with the audience, about how difficult it is to play park the bus defense. Yeah, it's difficult in the following sense. Um, I mean, first off, the most difficult thing to do, I agree with, with all of those quotes by famous people, the most difficult thing to do in soccer is score, right? So we kind of set that aside for the time being, right? The final third is difficult. Um, but bunkering is not easy for a host of reasons. First off, you better train it. Okay. Because you can't just tell your team on game day or the day before, okay, let's have our line of confrontation way down in our own territory and let them come at us. And then, you know, let's defend and figure it out. No, no, you have to specifically train all the roles of all the players. For example, if you're playing team X, Y, or Z, you better study them. You better know who their dangerous players are, what, what their tendencies are, you know, does the right winger, is he left-footed? Does he tend to come in uh, from the right and then take shots with his left? Um, okay, hey, let's rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. You never let him do that. You always take him down the sideline where he has the, use his right foot to serve a cross and he can't, he's terrible at it. So you have to do this and present problems to the opponent that they're not accustomed to having. Uh, one, how do you ladder mark properly? is to, what I mean by ladder marking is if somebody's a dangerous opponent that could beat you off the dribble 1v1, well, you always have to have a second defender there at the right spacing behind the first defender, such that if the first defender gets beat, it's going to be difficult for the guy to beat the second defender because of proper spacing between the two. Because when the attacker beats the first defender, he has to do that by moving the ball past them probably three or four yards. And if the spacing is right, there's the second defender to chop them down and the play's over. Do you have your center backs drift forward if their center striker comes into midfield to try to get the ball? I mean, the, the situations are countless and endless. And then how do you play out? How do you counterattack? Through the right channel, through the left channel, up the middle? How many people are we going to commit forward and under what circumstances are we're going to commit forward four guys, five guys? the entire team, I'm just spitballing here because it all depends on the manager. It all depends on strengths and weaknesses, but you have to rehearse it and it's not easy. And furthermore, when you relinquish the ball to the other team, you get fucking tired of defending because they have the ball moving constantly. It's not that their players are moving and running and exhausting themselves. They move the ball and you as a defender, you don't have the ball. You have to physically move your body, you know, to cover the, the ground and cover the space. So you get fucking exhausted physically. And then the, the amount of concentration required to always be focused and not make a mistake also exhausts you mentally. So by the time the second half comes around, you're already in trouble. Your legs are giving out, your head is giving out, and it's a problem. Yeah. Just a, it triggered a thought. I, read a good thing about how many goals are scored in the last 10 minutes of the half or the game. And it's the most, mm. by the way, and it's because of mental fatigue. Um, and then I was going to add to that too. The spacing is deceptive on television because you're getting its angle and the TV compresses the 
the dimension and the, the goal looks smaller and the spacing looks like it's very crowded, but it's not when you, if you were to get higher and look from above. So, uh, the amount of space that the defenders are traveling is deceptive yeah. in what they need to do. And then I, I heard a quote not too long ago from Pep and he said, in those circumstances, you know, we don't move the ball to move the attack. We move the ball to move the defense. Yeah. And then they find the attack when it's, and it's usually because somebody fatigues and messes up Yeah. that opens the door. And then the good teams can punish you right there and, and trigger in a moment, they recognize the mistake and they pounce and all of a sudden they score. And now, now you're down one. Now what do you do? Yeah. Now you're down one. You're going to, you got to change strategy. And now the game gets topsy-turvy in a, in a heartbeat. So I think it's lost on the average uh, person. One, it looks like it's so dense. How could you get shots off? And, you know, the defenders are pretty good at blocking. And then you, you know, you, you do compact the space with 11 defenders, you know, behind the, or yeah, 11 behind the ball. And it's tougher, but it's not, uh, it's not like it looks on, on TV. I know that for sure. All right. Um, I say we stop there because we're going to run up to a time limit. I don't want to rush things. So let's talk about going forward. We have some more questions that we can go over next time. Anything else you want to inject as far as subject matter that's hot and timely? No, no, I think that's fine. Now that we only have a, a few minutes left, I had an idea. Let me see what you think about. Um, so you have more objections, obviously. I think we've covered four. How many do we have? I've combined one, so maybe six. We've covered six? Okay. Yeah, some are really weak, though. But That's okay. That's okay. So my idea, anyways, was with the remaining few minutes that we've got, how about we play a little game of uh, a lightning round? What if you just read me really quick one objection after the other that we have not covered, and I okay. have to try and answer it? literally in 15 seconds or half a minute or a minute. And then we go and let's see what comes out. Okay. Ready? Yep. Ding. Pro rel causes clubs to take wild financial gambles. So what, what's the problem? This is a business. And if the owner wants to take wild gambles with their investment, let them do that. All right. Poor teams will never be promoted. Okay. Well, Certainly, if I want to create a search engine, I'm very poor and I won't be able to replicate Google or exceed Google. What's the problem with that? All right. I should have ordered this better. ProRel pressure causes clubs to make terrible financial decisions in the transfer window signings. That's your opinion, terrible financial decisions. Who are you to determine what's a good financial decision or, or bad? That's up to the at-risk appetite of whoever is in charge of the club. If they choose to lose $100 million in a transfer, okay, no problem. Lose $100 million. Okay. Soccer in the U.S. needed stability to succeed after many failures in investments. Uh, now let me try that again. Essentially, ProRel would destroy the safety of the investment and dry up the money. That's what they're saying. It's completely inverted. ProRel is an open marketplace, and that is what allows greater capital to flow into an ecosystem. What are we even talking about here? I'm just completely clueless of how basic economics works. MLS is doing well. Why upset the situation? Uh, because it is morally wrong to have a closed ecosystem. Uh, where only a few can benefit at the expense of everybody else. They should be open and everybody should have equal opportunity to compete in the marketplace, not equality of outcome. I have no right to compete in the first division. I have no right to compete in the second division or wherever. 
but I should have a right to compete for whatever uh, uh, division I merit. Okay. This isn't the opinion of the players union too, by the way. Pro-Rel suppresses player salaries. I disagree. I think Pro-Rel greatly amplifies player salaries because it is an open marketplace for employment as well. So here, clearly I'm presuming that with an open marketplace, that means that the MLS franchises become independent clubs and they aren't colluding with one another to suppress wages. Instead, they are competing for the services of a particular player. So the player can go to the highest bidder for his services. A two-division MLS with pro-rel between the two would suffice. That's not promotion relegation. That's playing amongst yourselves. That's not an open ecosystem. Uh, pro-rel overemphasizes winning over development. Uh, quite the opposite. I mean, sure, winning is primordial, but you better develop players for you to survive and for you to go up. Now, there's going to be a strata of clubs that have different strategies uh, of how to survive and, and, and do well in an open ecosystem. On one extreme, you can have like a Real Madrid, which purchases almost all of their talent from the global marketplace. And yes, you can say that is, it come, could come at the expense of developing their youth. Yeah, if that's what we're talking about, but that's just one club. And if you want to extend that to maybe half of the table of the first division, fine. But what about the bottom half of the first division, all of the second division, all of the third division at scale, it incentivizes development because all of these clubs in general can't just go out into the marketplace and buy their solutions. They're going to have to develop them in house. All right. Last one. You can't change the rules. Now it would be unfair to the investors in MLS with the quote of threatened to go all the way to the Supreme Court if you infringe on us? Well, I mean, the law is the law. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, certainly that could be something that happens where the owners band together and they try to sue uh, U.S. soccer, whoever is trying to force the system to be open. I can't really comment on that. That's possible a possibility, but fair versus unfair is a completely different question here. It is completely unfair to have a closed system where only those partic particular people who are in the bubble benefit at the expense of everybody else, which we've covered before. All right. That's fair. My, fair my huevos. Fair is equal opportunity, motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, my man, I'll let you go. Thank you as usual. Right. Have a good one. Keep that chubby right. shirt safe. It's going up. Yeah, my son's got an autograph to Calvin from Messi. I both that, that motherfucker. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, 
my co-host Terry in this episode founded the Accelerator Schools. There's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.